0: Bridge to Life now presents the Couples Getaway from Bridge to Life Ministries has a four-session podcast. Putting on the Armor of God in Your Marriage is the focus and theme of the weekend, which occurred in September, two different weekends in September of 2021. Session 1, which you will hear shortly, Recognizing the Enemy and His Schemes. Session 2, The Armor of God and How to Use It. Session 3, What to Do Once the Armor is in Place to Combat Evil and Protect Our Marriages. And the final session, How to Be Victorious in Spiritual Warfare. Now, we begin with Don and Becky Smith, co-founders of Bridge to Life. They will be teaching the session. Don is the president. Session one, recognizing the enemy and his schemes.
1: So turn in your uh, sheets, uh, worksheets there. Our first session here has to do with just recognizing the enemy and his schemes. Tomorrow morning, we're going to look at the armor of God, the different pieces Uh, their purposes, and how we can apply those truths to us. And then Sunday morning, we're going to walk through a number of things, in fact, quite a list of uh, things that I think we can actively do to really combat and and protect our marriages. And so we're going to take this one step at a time. But um, let's go to the passage here. And, Beck, if you want to read this for us, and uh, this is in Ephesians chapter 6.
2: Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints.
1: Thank you. So the question is, how active is Satan in our lives, in our marriage relationship? Uh, I I think there's some... uh, Individuals that probably are indifferent. In other words, Satan really hasn't attacked our marriage or we don't sense any warfare going on. Uh, on others, we might feel like our spouse is the enemy, uh, which I think is a lie from Satan. Uh, Satan doesn't want us to really think he's the problem. Rather, it's our spouse, and we'll talk about that more later. And uh, I, I think sometimes we may think, and I've heard individuals say, you know, um, you know, we, we're the exception. We really don't um, uh, have any problems. We're doing fine. And uh, it, it's like, so where is Satan attacking? But I, I want to, I, I just wrote a few thoughts down here, is uh, maybe how do, I, how do we struggle in our marriage relationship? Because is it just marriage problems that we're dealing with, or is it satanic attack? And so let me just share a few thoughts. Uh, what if our marriage? If what if our spouse isn't kind and loving, uh, like they used to be? Is that marriage problem? Is that an attack? Um, maybe they're pushing our buttons, and uh, we're really getting triggered strongly, or we're afraid to bring issues up, which may lead to a, a conflict. And so, is Satan involved in that? Uh, maybe there's just a low-grade irritation in our marriage where we're just irritated with our spouse we maybe we can't name it or we maybe know know it but we're we're really aware that um, things aren't well and I don't like the way things are and uh, maybe there's a a frustration that our spouse doesn't meet our needs and and they're just uh, they don't seem to be sensitive to our needs and don't seem to care I feel lonely and uh, Sometimes we're faking it in our marriage relationship in the sense of, um, you know, on the outside our marriage probably looks good, but inside if people really knew how I felt or what our marriage is like, um, you know, it's not good. And unfortunately, I I think as Christians, um, we tend to just tough it out. We just tend to uh, tolerate each other and... uh, I think, especially in the church, we're supposed to look nice. And I think this is my personal conviction after 38 years of doing marriage stuff. But I think one of the most dangerous places for marriages is, is in the church. Because we're just complacent. We're kind of like we, we um, our marriages aren't deep. We're not really using them for the kingdom of God, we're just existing. We look nice on Sunday, but we don't hardly do anything together or we tolerate each other during the week. And Satan says, I don't have to worry about their marriage. It's not doing anything anyhow. And I think there's something that we have to wake up and begin to realize that we are here for a purpose, that God does want to use us, and that to what degree are we really understanding God and the power of who he is? And one of the things I learned about the... um, Armor is that um, I, at first, I kind of approached it like I wonder what's magical about the sword, what's magical about the, the shield and the breastplate, and so on. And um, what I learned is each of those are ways to take and to apply the gospel, the word of God, into our lives in ways that affects all of our the way we relate and who we are. And so Paul is just using these metaphors to help us understand how to use God's Word in a way that really uh, is effective, and you'll see that as we go through there. So going to uh, the notes here for a moment, uh, how do we recognize if our marriage is under attack? And so I just put some thoughts down here. I do want to say something as I begin, is that uh, I've done a lot of reading over the last several months, there are two resources that I found extremely helpful to me in preparing and even with the notes you have. And so I don't want to be um, accused of uh, using material. So I'm going to tell you right now I did, and then I'm off the hook, right? But I gave credit to them at the end of the workbook, the two sources. One is Priscilla Schreier, her book, uh, The Armor of God. and. Uh, the other individual, which isn't written material, but was online, is J.D., uh, uh, D.J. Gear. Uh, um, and uh, I put his website and such there, so you can go in there and, and listen to him. But uh, I found those just incredibly helpful, convicting, applicable to uh, warfare. So I, I, I share those with you. It's on page 31. On page 31 at the bottom, we, we just put those there. So, um, but let me just think through here. So is it a, a, a battle just in our marriage, or is it a spiritual one? And um, I believe that it's both. Satan seldom just does an out-front attack on our marriage. It's usually, in my opinion, very subtle. Something can happen, but... Satan can take and twist that so carefully and quickly that we don't even realize it into something that Satan takes advantage of. I I think when we fight or or there's a disagreement or misunderstanding, Um, if if I can just share, Becky and I, uh, we've been married 47 years. And um, at our age, um, we've run out of things to argue about. Uh, (laughs) I'm teaching... So, no. Um, but um, the reality is, is um, we just get better at fighting, okay? But uh, practically, it's interesting that I don't know if we're senile, but we can be talking about something and we look at it, what are we fighting about? You know, and I'm talking about this and she's talking about something totally different. And, and we have to f- figure out, let's agree on what we're talking about here. Uh, and then we can fight better. But, um, but no, it, it's like, but it's interesting, just a misunderstanding and how we kind of snap back at each other can just put us into a tailspin where we're not talking to each other or we're irritated or uh, just something simple. And, and, and my point is, is that um, we're going to give you a list at, at the end tonight to look at, to say what are some ways Satan might be Attacking, whether overtly or subtly, in your marriage relationship. I do believe this, that Satan has each one of our marriages on his radar. None of us are flying underneath the radar, so to speak, and uh, we're off the charts. What I've been convinced, and you can see some of the verses tonight, he's after every one of us. And I I think my thinking has been, I've always believed Satan is at work and I believed in prayer and all the things, but I've just become more convicted. Yes, there's a spiritual warfare, but we have tools we gotta be using, which I have taken for granted. And particularly, as as you see what Becky read, all the tools are empowered by prayer. And um, and we really need to understand what that can do. And I'm going to share some examples that God has convicted me about that um, we, we can begin to see um, how we can put some of these things to practical use. But um, my concern is, is that are we open to seeing what Satan is up to? Because uh, over and over again, it says in the New Testament, be, be aware of his schemes. So we have a job. And that's what we're going to do this weekend is to well, then what is Satan up to? What is his methods, particularly what is his methods in our marriage relationship? The second part I, I want to share there is uh, we both uh, are imperfect individuals. And um, we're one sinner married to another. Um, you know, sometimes I think we think we're okay, it's our spouse that's the problem. But I think a better question to ask is, would you want to be married to you? I wouldn't be, want to be married to me. Uh, I wouldn't put up with half the crap that I do, okay? But I, it's okay for Becky too, you know? And it's like, um, we can subtly be selfish and, and uh, stuck in our ways and such. Um, we don't love perfectly is what I'm trying to say. And am I willing to take a look at that and uh, really um, examine uh, what holds me up and from loving the way I should? Um, here's my problem with blaming Satan. So you're going to think I'm going back and forth here, but hear me out. I'll give you an example. There's a couple I've been working with. I think I know the problems pretty clearly, uh, what's going on, but the wife is absolutely convinced it's spiritual warfare. My comment is, ma'am, it's you. Don't pray for spiritual warfare and such on your husband when you're doing these things. And I I think there's a tendency to, to like, Pray, Lord, pray. Uh, we're, we pray for you to protect our marriage, but we don't put to use the spiritual weapon, uh, the, the armor of God. I, as I've thought about this, uh, if you've been in counseling with me, many times I'll close the counseling session, Lord, protect their marriage. And I think that's appropriate. But my prayer in itself doesn't do the job that you should be doing, uh, utilizing the spiritual weapons that you have available. It's when we put those to use that that protects our marriage. And and so I I hope my prayer is such that it encourages that process that God desires to do in the individual, but it doesn't do it magically. God has given us weapons to use that uh, we often do do not take uh, advantage of. So looking at your notes there, I, I just want to make a few comments. And we're looking at the side here of just plain working on our marriage. I, I, I think marriage takes work. I don't know about you, but when uh, Becky and I got married, uh, we were in love, and I just thought things would go better from there. Um, things would not. Uh, uh, how could they ever get worse uh, in the sense of um, uh, we would have arguments or anything like that? And uh, but you know, the reality is there's a lot that goes on—the tension and friction. Uh, that happens, so we have to put serious work into it. Second is, I think we need to be intentional. We need to have a strategy. Um, We we can't just haphazardly go, well, we do uh, in our marriage, but I really believe that if we're under satanic attack, we need to know how do we do this so Satan doesn't take advantage of our marriage. The third or C item here is, uh, I believe, um, marriage takes great energy. I take that from the verse in Genesis chapter three or chapter two, where it says uh, um, uh, that uh, the man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The word "united" as I understand it from studying. It's it's a it's not a passive word, but rather it means to pursue with great energy or to cling to something zealously. In other words, I, I put energy into this. Um, for for this uniting to take place And I would say when I, when I sit down with a couple many times It's like what have you done To work on your marriage Or, or to build the, the oneness there eh, We're busy, we're tired We're working, we have kids And uh, the list goes on I remember um, one time Counseling a couple I think they had three kids And they're working I think they had different schedules and such and so it was havoc and but I said they hadn't had a date in probably a year it it was a long time and so besides working on the marriage I just said I think it'd be wise you guys set aside some time we found a time of the week that probably could work first uh, after the first session come to the second and they hadn't done the date the third session they hadn't done a date yet Four session, still no date. And I mean, I'm not asking them to read a book this thick. I'm just saying go out and spend some time alone just to talk a little bit. And um, you know what? Um, I said, evidently, you're too busy to work on your marriage. And I can't do it for you. Sometimes I, I feel like I'm doing more work in the marriage than they are. And, and um, my point is, is, Do we see the urgency that we got to be investing something here and we're supposed to do it with zeal, with with great effort uh, instead of passively? And I I think Satan's tool is for us to be passive. I don't care. It's not important. We're doing fine. When Beck and I started the ministry um, 38 years ago, Uh, We were incredibly busy. I was teaching our marriage class three times a week, doing 30-some hours of counseling, plus running the ministry, and we were just busy. And uh, Becky was doing office work and raising five kids and such. Um, And uh, we had a consultant come in. And that consultant, uh, we we wanted to know, how can we get this ministry organized and be more effective? Instead of looking at the ministry, which he did, uh, he looked at our relationship and said, what are you guys doing for your marriage? Well, we're busy, and uh, but we're, we'll we'll get around to it, you know. And uh, he made us sit down and begin to make our marriage a priority, which basically meant that <clears throat> um, we had to go on a date. I had to, back then we didn't have computers, and so took my day timer and put in time for Becky. And part of that was. Yes, we, go, we have to commit to going for a date each week. But one of those, one date a month, had to be we sit down and talk about our marriage. Where are we? Where are we going? What are issues we need to be talking about, working on? Uh, we had to start being strategic. And I would say, where do we take the time? And some of us are afraid to do that simply because uh, it's going to create some problems, which is, I believe, where Satan uh, takes advantage Uh, Another point here in your notes is regular maintenance. If you have a car, which you probably do because you got here, um, you have some sort of maintenance program, change the oil, those sort of things. And uh, why do you take better care of your car than you do your marriage relationship? Um, We don't do tune-ups on our um, marriages sometimes, but I I think you being here is a, a a good indication of that, but I think we need to be mindful of um, tune-ups for our marriage. Also, I put in here, read a marriage book, podcast, attend marriage seminar, invest in quality time. The list could go on. But what are you doing intentionally to take and work on your marriage relationship? I know some people don't like to read, particularly guys, but I say there's excellent podcasts, uh, the, talking with other guys uh, guys don't talk about marriage too much unless they can't stand their wife and may share that but, um, but we don't talk about that and I think you know, iron sharpening iron is important to help uh, each of us uh, grow more last I just want to say in Proverbs it says this catch the foxes for us the little foxes that spoil the vineyard in other words catch the problems while they're small um, don't don't wait um, until things get so bad. Uh, I often sit with a couple in counseling, and I, I sometimes I say it to them, "Gosh, if you would have come in here six months, a year, two years ago, you wouldn't be ready to give up. We would have had a lot to work with. Now we're pretty limited in our options, and it's going to take some hard work. and I, And it's just interesting to me. It, it, it's it's like." Um, having a health problem, cancer, and you, you, well, I'll I'll give you an example. Uh, My uh, brother-in-law, I I have two brother-in-laws that have passed away in the last year. Uh, One just two weeks ago, and one a year ago. And uh, the one that passed away a year ago um, had prostate cancer, and he was going to um, treat it naturally, eat the right foods and take the right vitamin stuff um he would beat this and uh he continued to get worse and worse and uh, uh just a couple months before he died he says well maybe i'll try some chemotherapy or whatever they were recommending but uh he got a couple treatments and it made him deathly sick and um he died my point is is that um didn't deal with it soon enough. Um, my brother in law, that passed away two weeks ago, uh, Chuck, um, kind of the same problem, uh, except he couldn't get the help soon enough that he needed. Um, I had prostate surgery or you know, cancer two, three years ago. And um, we just decided because of my dad dying of prostate cancer and my two brother in laws, I'm just going to have it removed. I'm still here, as you can tell. Uh, I I think um, it was a little radical. The doctor suggested you can do some other options. We just said, let's take care of it. My point is we have to be aggressive instead of how long can we tolerate and and get by uh, and and not deal with things. So with that, let me just uh, talk about something here. You probably are familiar with um, um, the Trojan here, um, horse. the, the, the thing about it, I just read some month or two ago uh, in the news that they think they have discovered the original Trojan horse, uh, which uh, some people wondered if it was really true or not. And they think they have found it, which I am fascinated by that. But the point of it is, it's not so much the horse as to how it was used. It was used in a way to uh, get into the city and to conquer the city. It was deceptive. And Satan is the same way. He comes in disguised ways to attack us. And oftentimes we're, we're tricked, we're unaware of it. And my hope is as we look at some things, we can really look at it. So let's look at understanding our enemy. Um, first, let me just put a little information here about Satan. Um, originally, Satan was... Um, Lucifer he was created by God, he was the highest of the angels, and uh, his job was to protect the glory of god and um, in reading from um, Ezekiel there and I'd encourage you to read the uh, passage if I wrote it out, it would take a, most of the page so um, gave the reference but um, but it's interesting that Lucifer was not only protected the glory of God, but also he ministered to Jesus, or to God. And you know how he did it? By music. Uh, One commentary puts it this way, that literally, uh, they believed that Lucifer's body was a musical instrument that could play music that would minister to God, which I find absolutely fascinating, that um, that was one of his ways that he uh, praised uh, God. But, um, The problem with Lucifer is he wanted the glory of God for himself. He became jealous, uh, became prideful, and he said, I want this for myself. And so he uh, resurrects against God with a third of the angels. Satan isn't defeated uh, as far as destroyed, but uh, he doesn't win. And God kicks him out of heaven and uh, to earth here. And so um, Satan is doing well. Um, He he hasn't given up. And so let's look at a few things here that um, I I think are important. Uh, You see here we gave some of the names of um, Satan. Um, uh, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, uh, the tempter, the ruler of the world, the prince of the power of the air, prince of darkness, uh, accuser, and the father of lies. And uh, so he can show up in different ways. And there's not just Satan himself, but he has a whole um, army with him. But I think one of the things that's significant is why is Satan so determined to get us? You might just say, uh, is that really an issue? I think it is for two reasons. One is that because we're created in the image of God, Satan hates God or anything that represents God. So Satan is out to destroy anything that bears God's image. And we're image bearers of God. So he's out to attack us, to get us to rebel against God like he did. Second is, the Godhead is a trinity. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a oneness there. And what Satan wants to do is destroy oneness. And so there's oneness in three ways in the Bible. One is the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The second one is the body of believers. And uh, that's uh, Jesus refers to that in John chapter 17, where he says, Father, I pray for them uh, that they may be one as you and I are one. And then in our marriage relationship, in the Old Testament and New Testament, it says, that we should become one flesh. So our oneness is something that represents God, and Satan says, I want to get it. Satan is out to destroy our marriages. He's not indifferent to it. He literally wants to destroy our marriages. And so um, Satan, uh, I I thought this is important here, but Satan has authority over the world. It's not like Satan is... Like, oh, I would like to roam the earth. God has given, and I don't know and understand why, except that Satan has been given authority over the earth. And I, I want to just, uh, they're in your notes here, but I, I want to read them. In Revelation, it says, the great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serp- uh, serpent called the devil or Satan, was, ha- who led the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. When Jesus was tempted, uh, listen to this. Satan came and tempted, that is Jesus, by showing him all the kingdoms of the world and saying, I will give you all the authority and the splendor. It has been given to me. Hear that? Satan has been given the the world here. And so Satan is saying, I can give it to you, Jesus, because it's mine. We go down to the next verse. Jesus didn't challenge Satan. Jesus didn't say at that time, Satan, no, it's mine. He doesn't argue that point, but rather what he does, and we'll look at this more tomorrow, Jesus responds by, by quoting scripture to Satan in dealing with that. A couple more verses here. Uh, in 1 John, we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. It's interesting to me in Job, when uh, Satan comes to God in Genesis cha- or Job chapter 1, God asked the question, Satan, where have you been? And Satan's response was from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. So in other words, he's uh, scouring his uh, kingdom here, earth. And then the last one is Satan is the one who has deceived the whole world. That's in Genesis chapter 12. So we see that this is his kingdom. We live in it. We exist here in it. And as a result of that, uh, we are in the battlefield. We're in the battleground. This is his territory that uh, we've been placed. So I um, want to look at Satan's schemes here for a moment. Um, I found this part kind of interesting that uh, I, I think there's different facets that are for Satan to use. Uh, uh, One is that uh, nearly 30 times in scripture, uh, either Jesus or the disciples uh, referred to Satan. And um, there's a verse in 1 Peter here that's a well-known one, but let me read it. It says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion uh, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, stand firm in the faith, because you know that... Uh, the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So let me give a little translation here. Um, One is, it says, be alert and and, uh, sober-minded. I I think we know what alert is, looking out, watching out for it. Sober-minded can mean uh, to be watchful or to refrain. In other words, don't give in to it. Um, and so we're supposed to be careful not to give in to this. But Satan is out sneaking about, uh, looking for a way to overcome us. Uh, a month or so ago, I was talking with uh, Mark. And Mark was telling me, um, and Mark, if you want to explain it better than I, but he talked about a friend who's in the military, right? My nephew. Your nephew. And uh, uh, he, he said uh, he can... I tell you what, come up here, Beck. let me use your, you told me so well, and I don't want to uh, mess it up here, but I thought it was good what you shared.
3: Uh, uh, my wife's older brother, oldest nephew. So he's, he's a West Point grad of 2013. He's already done Ranger Battalion, he's all in. He was up for special ops. He unfortunately um, got pulled out of that, but he's that caliber. He's about a six foot three, 210 pound killing machine. And um, we were, he was visiting for one of our weddings, and somehow they got talking about animals and somebody saying something on YouTube about, you know, different animals and bears and whatever. And Greg has been in the woods and the wilderness with a lot of training. he says, mountain lion, mountain lion. He says, give me a wolf, give me a bear anytime, but not a mountain lion. He, and I'm like, wow, why is that? He says, basically because they stalk you, and you don't even know they're there. And they relentlessly will stalk you and you don't even know they're there. And it just, it really gave him the heebie-jeebies to see the six foot three just stud of a young man and he's talking like a little boy, like, yeah, I don't want a mountain lion. And that was his description of the mountain lion as the relentless stalking and you don't even know they're there.
1: Good, thank you. And I think that's exactly what Satan does, and that's what Paul is trying to tell us here, or Peter, in that uh, he's sneaking around, and and you probably don't even realize he's there. Um, The other part that strikes me about this verse is it says that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Do you hear what that's saying? That we're not the only ones? Or if I can paraphrase it, Every, not, it's not just your marriage that is struggling and that Satan's out to, to, to get. It's all of ours in this room and around the world. And I think many times we feel like, we're the only ones. Sometimes when I'm counseling a couple and they'll share their problems and say, Don, have you ever heard a problem like this one before? Um, once in a great while I'll jokingly say, man, it's the first time I've ever heard that. You know, it's like, um, well, maybe we ought to go see a different counselor. But... Um, but you know what? No, it, it happens over and over and over again. It's to us, it seems strange or new. And so I, I think there's comfort in knowing we're in this together. But um, Satan has a strategy. Um, my question is, I think Satan has a strategy for each one of us individually and also for our marriage there's usually a theme that each couple struggles with. Um, in some way, there, there's a, a rhythm, uh, uh, issues that tend to come up. And I would say, what are yours? What, what is the um, thing that just kind of keeps taking up its ugly head that uh, gets you there? Um, it's interesting in Second Corinthians, uh, Paul is talking about unforgiveness there. And then he says... I have forgiven in the sight of God for your sake. So there was turmoil and and such going on. They weren't able to forgive. And Paul's saying, um, you know, I prayed for forgiveness for you. And listen to what he says. In order that Satan might not outwit us. One is, if we cannot forgive our spouse, I think it's effective to pray for a couple or someone, or even your spouse, when they can't forgive. Because saying you couldn't forgive... But I I prayed on your behalf. And so there's something powerful that Paul recognizes that it's effective to pray when someone else isn't able to deal with that or to pray. And he says, For we are not unaware of his schemes. As you know, a a well way that uh, Satan attacks is by his lies. uh, Jesus said, You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. For um, there is no truth in him. When he lies he speaks his native language. For it is, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Um, when it says it's his native language. In other words it just comes natural. Um, a few years ago around 2005. We... Uh, we're in the process of adopting Andres. We have five kids, uh, six, one. We adopted Andres, and uh, from Mexico, and uh, he didn't know Spanish, and we didn't know, or he didn't. <laughs> I'm getting mixed up, right? He didn't know English, and we didn't know Spanish. So Becky and I were taking Spanish lessons, trying to. Okay, we got to communicate with this kid, and uh, um, those. Spanish words would not roll off my tongue, um, and uh, there was nothing natural about it. Uh, but you know, um, what was what was gracious is, dear Andres. He's a sharp kid. He learned English lickety split, and within two or three months, he was speaking pretty fluently. And uh, we never did learn Spanish, but um, um, anyhow, God blessed us with a good kid that way. But. Uh, but you know what? Uh, it just comes natural. He didn't have to learn a language. That's who he is. And what I'm amazed is, why, do, why are we surprised when Satan lies to us about different things? We're going to look at ways that he, he, he might lie to us and trick us. But um, why are we shocked? Uh, and that's why I think Jesus is saying is, that's who he is. Um, And then uh, the verse, this is one of my favorite in the sense of I think it hits the nail on the head. Um, In Ephesians 4, it says, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And so what he's saying is when you're angry or when there's a problem, one is don't let it go to sin. So it's possible to be upset or hurt by something. It's not saying never have a hurt feeling. But in your anger, do not sin. But it says here, but resolve it. Don't let the sun go down. Make a commitment that we are going to not allow this to linger. Um, because if, it, if we do, um, it gives Satan a foothold. I, I looked up the word foothold there, it means an opportunity, a, a place to grab onto. Um, but it, it, Satan takes advantage of that is what it is. And, and I'm amazed that we think we can hold on to grudges. Um, you know, when, when Becky and I struggle at times in our marriage um, and, and I get my feelings hurt, uh, there's something that just rises up in me and it says this, and I think it's of Satan. I mean, I, I, I allow to go there, but uh, I, I just say, I don't need her. You know what? I, I can just... You know, I, I can just pretend like she doesn't exist. Yeah, we're still in the same house. But my point is, is uh, I'm just going to disown her. I don't need her. And if I allow that to linger, Satan can do a lot of, have a lot of fun with that. And and it's like, uh, oh, here I go again. And I just did that or I'm thinking it. I don't say to Becky, I don't think I've ever said to her, I don't need you. But in my head, I... That would start a fight between you and Satan, right? Yeah. Um, see she, how she gets confused so easy. So, But, um, but I, I know in my gut that, Don, don't go there. And, and, and one of the things I've had to do, or I do, is I'll, uh, one of the things, and I, when we take the marriage class, I, I talk about this, but I realize, Don, how do you begin to immediately not let Satan go there? For me... Um, you know, we talk in the course, um, um, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So I begin to do something intentional for Becky, like do the dishes or fix something or do something, uh, something that means something to Becky, because when I do something for her, my heart changes. And and I just say, Lord, take this this attitude, this spirit away from me. I don't want Satan to take advantage of it. And I'm going to actively do something to take and invest in Becky. And when I invest something in her, my heart goes with that. And it changes my attitude and I'm able to uh, get through that. But um, So what I want to look at now is uh, some of Satan's methods. And uh, we'll just talk about this a little bit. But I found it interesting that uh, the scripture talks about the three forces that we deal with. And that is the world, the flesh, and the devil. And uh, so I, I, I want to address those. Uh, as far as the world is um, concerned, you might just say, um, are we aware that the world is out to get us in the sense or it, it's an issue? Uh, so let me read the verse and then make a couple of comments. Do not love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does um, comes not from the Father but from the world. So we're talking about the influences of the world and those things that affect us. Um, so I'm to just think, what are some things in the world that might attack um, either me or my marriage? Um, and I'm just throwing out some thoughts here, but it's amazing how easy we can be influenced by television, the world standards, um, it's, it's like um, the commercials on television kind of send the message, you need this. You can't be happy without it. Or it, it's, uh, you're missing out in some way. And, and it's like, we got to have this, we got to do that. And... Uh, how much have we bought into the mindset that we're not happy and we need something else? It's interesting to me is that's what Satan did with Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say you cannot eat of the fruit of the garden or the tree in the middle of the garden? And and what Satan was really saying is you're missing out. You should be able to partake of something like that. And I think a lot of times um, I, I find it interesting in counseling how unhappy... Um, so many people are. They're, they're not happy with their marriage. They're not happy with their lives, with their work, with this or that, kids and so on. And, and uh, I, I just read a, a thing on the internet here uh, this last week. It said something like 70, 75%, somewhere in the 70s, of uh, people in the U.S. are considered uh, technically depressed just because of the COVID and all the stuff going on and what surprises me is there's got to be a bunch of Christians in that 70%. I just read over the weekend, or this last weekend, um, an article by a guy who ministers to pastors. And he, um, he, right now he's ministering to, um, uh, it said uh, he, yearly he ministers to, uh, tries to help around 200 pastors or churches a year. And, um, and it said, like, so far this year, 28 pastors have resigned from the pastorate because they're depressed and just overwhelmed. We're talking about the ones who are supposed to be spiritually. Uh, yeah. I was listening to Moody Radio the other day, and they said 60% of Christians are depressed right now. This from within this last year. 60%. She said uh, Moody Radio was saying 60% of Christians are um, depressed. I mean, we're the ones with the hope. So what is going wrong? What is going on? And I hope as we go through the study here, we might begin to realize what is the source of our discontent and, and how do we find it here? But it's a serious problem is what I want to say. Um, We tend to look at things in a negative way uh, over and over again. So it it talks here about the cravings of the sinful man, uh, the lust of the eyes, which is talking about coveting or lust um, and boasting. Um, I would like to think that I'm not very selfish or prideful, but at my core, I know I am. It's interesting how we sometimes have to drop names or we have to say what we have or what we've done. Uh, we want someone to think well of us. And it, it's it's like um, the facade we put up in order to get people's approval. And even I think we do it in our marriage relationship, like, oh, we did this and we did that. Uh, I, I've seen several people on Facebook. I don't get on Facebook as much as I used to, but... Um, um, people showing off uh, their happy home and marriage. What I found interesting is, then some of those people come in for counseling, and I have trouble putting their picture from Facebook with the reality of who I'm sitting before. You know, uh, it's just drastic, and it, it's like we're living two different lives here. And but we want everyone to think. And uh, in my opinion, in the church, I think the church has a tremendous opportunity to say we all struggle. How can we encourage each other? How can we be real here? Church is for the wounded people, not the ones who are well. And we're all wounded. We're all hurting. And it's too bad we can't encourage each other to, um, to, to grow in that. So um, the, on the next page here, just uh, the flesh and spiritual warfare. A um, couple of thoughts here. It says... Um, Paul says he struggles with the flesh, which is encouragement to me because um, um, we look at Paul as kind of having it all together. But um, this is how the message version, so it's a little different than what I'm used to reading. But it says this. I thought it was a little different twist. He says, "It's it's happened so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's demands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of my uh, uh, joints, um, in all of me, joins in that delight, parts of me covet, uh, covetly rebel, and just when I am least expected, they, they, uh, they uh, take change or charge. Can't read it. But the point is, is he's saying you know just. I have this battle going on. And just when I think I get it, the other part kind of sneaks up and takes over here. And I think we all have our areas where we struggle, where if I could just find some sort of victory over this struggle, I think I could make it. I wish I didn't struggle. I've shared this with some of you before, but um, I I remember um, back when I was in seminary and... um, going through the course. And part of it, they asked uh, that we get counseling uh, from there. So uh, basically, the, the idea is, is how can you help someone with their issues if you haven't worked on your own? And so uh, each of us in the program would go through counseling. And uh, in so doing, um, I, was, I, I really began to realize I'm struggling with some deep things. Um, I realized, I, at first I thought I didn't have any problems. I didn't. I wouldn't think I was perfect, but the point was, I think I um, uh, have a few little issues. And when they said, uh, you're gonna get counseled, I thought to myself, should I make something up so I can see what that's like? And their point, no, just we'll take care of that, which when they say that, you should be scared. <laughs> and um, so I'm sitting down and talking and he's he's saying, and the first session, he, uh, he asked about my folks and such, and he ends it this way. He says, Don, you're angry at your dad. Well, those weren't good words. Um, what I, I was angry at him for saying that, you know? Um, but as I thought more about it, and one of the things is, is when something comes up, pray about it. I find it interesting in counseling. There's a, a couple just here recently, and they got all upset. You know, They asked, what did I think? So I told them, and they're mad at me. Like, well, then don't ask. And so, uh, but you know what? If something hurts, pray about it. If there's nothing there, why is it hurt? Because it shouldn't hurt if there's nothing there. So that means something's going on. And um, so anyhow, get to the end of the program. And uh, I said, you know, I've understood, you know, I, I really struggle with feeling incompetent. And do I have anything to offer and a few things like that. And um, so I I thought, I I see them. I'm trying to work on those. And I said to the instructor the last session, I said, "Um, I really appreciate the help. I'm growing a lot. Do you think I'm going to be okay? Am I not going to struggle with this so much anymore? And he looked at me, and he just shook his head and said, no, you'll always struggle with this. Like, what? What? Here I've paid all this money to go through this program and all this and learning stuff and getting good grades. And you're saying I'm not going to be any better. He said, Don, you'll continue to grow. You know what your issues are. But he said this. He said, if you were to not struggle with these things anymore and they were just to go away, what would you need God for? Because I know Don Smith, if I didn't struggle anymore, I would say this, God, I'm doing fine, I'll call you when I need you again, but I think I got it okay now. I think the Christian life is being aware of the resources of God and applying them to our lives in a way that glorifies them, allowing him to work through us. And many of us are scared to go there. And and so, as Paul said, and we'll look at his passage uh, over the weekend here, but he says, his thorn in the flesh, he says, I'm thankful for my thorn because it causes me to be more dependent on God. And instead, we want to run from it. When was the last time you thanked God for your marriage problems? Because, God, this is an opportunity for us to grow because you're going to do something here. You want to expose our hearts. And there's probably selfishness and stuff going on here that you want to cleanse us from. No, Lord, I want to keep on, hold on to my selfishness. And I want to be angry. I have a right to be. Look at all the things that have happened and the spouse I have to put up with and such. I have a right. And all of a sudden, you know, God says, I don't have an opportunity to work. Your your heart isn't open. And, and so... Um, There's a battle here that um, Paul recognizes, and I think we do. I want to go down to uh, C here, uh, the devil um, and spiritual warfare. And uh, there's there's three examples that uh, I thought were good that I want to just talk about for a few minutes here. Um, The devil is active goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and how he approached and dealt with Eve. But he was crafty. Uh, He deceived. He planted doubts. Uh, He tried to get them to think that God was restricting them in the sense of you can't eat of this fruit. You can't have something that would really be good for you. Um, He got them to rebel against God and to get them to think that um, they should be the ultimate authority. There's something about where we think, I should know what's best for me. It's it's sad, I think, sometimes when we don't want to turn to the Word of God to see what it says. So many times in counseling, I'll ask a question something like this. Um, when was the last time, and I, I probably phrase it a little different than I'm going to say it here, but um, where, where you've spent time in the Word and, and just allow God to speak to you in reference to this issue or what you're struggling with and, and growing and, and it's like, well, I fall asleep when I read the Bible and, um, you know, and uh, it's, it's uh, I just don't like reading much and I'm so busy and I don't understand it and uh, I mean, all kinds of things. And my point is, why don't we go to the source of who can fix it and instead, we talk to other people and say, what do you think I should do? Oh, I wouldn't put up with that. I'd file for divorce, or I'd do this and that. And instead of saying, is there hope that God has in reference to what I struggle with in my marriage? And I I think we set ourselves up as the ultimate authority here. And then last, in your notes there, I believe Satan uses our pride. You know, uh, a guy stopped by just recently. Uh, I counseled him 30 years ago. Which is amazing. I hadn't seen him for almost thirty years, and he just came in here just recently. and um, And he said, "Don, I've I've lived a horrible life since I last saw you." And he listed some things that I won't even quote in here. And he said, um, "He says, uh, but um, I've stopped going to church because I don't feel like I'm good enough to go to church after all I've done." And he said. Um, uh, it's better just for me to be alone. And I said, well, what can I do? How can I help you? And he says, I don't know yet. He says, I'm kind of checking you out. Um, he said, y- you're the only person I thought I could talk to. But he said, um, um, and, and basically it was his pride was getting in the way. Like, I, I don't know if I want to listen. He says, I, I do a lot of reading and reading books. And I read the Bible some. But he said, um and my thing is, Satan is using his shame to hinder him from healing and getting some help. And how many times does that help happen where I, I'm not, I'm, I don't want anybody to know, or I'm not going to talk to anybody, I don't like going to a counselor. I'm not saying you have to go to a counselor. But can you talk to a godly person who can take and love you, pray for you, kick you in the butt in a loving way, in a way that will help move you in the direction you need to? And I I think Satan has somehow gotten so many of us to keep secrets, and Satan wins. And if I can just say to those of you who are newly married and those who are old, is that take advantage of the resources around you that God has put there instead of just staying in your cocoon where I think Satan loves to keep us. So let's go to Job on the next page. Um, You know the story of Job. Uh, It's interesting to me that God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So it was God who throws Job's name out there. And Satan replies, well, the reason everything's uh, going good is because you bless him and he's successful and this and that. And God says, no, it's it's not because of that. And as you know, God gives Satan permission to do certain things to Job. And the circumstances were not good for Job. He loses uh, all of his possessions, his cattle and uh, his living. He loses his kids. Uh, Satan comes back and attacks his body. He can't take his life, but... Um, He has horrible pussy sores that are painful. He sits in an ash heap and takes a piece of broken uh, pottery and scrapes some and such, and he's miserable. And it says in all of that, Job didn't curse God. And then his friends come along and uh, try to give some advice, which was not good advice at all. My point is, poor Job doesn't get any help or any relief. And yet, Job doesn't turn his back on God. How many times are we tempted in our personal life or in our marriage to turn our life our, 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 to give up because of the struggles we have and to turn our, our uh, back on God? was just talking to a couple the other day and he said the husband said this Don he says "Um, I I pretty well have given up on God because I shouldn't have to keep struggling in my marriage and in my life there was several things going on and he said "Um, so I've given I've just given up on God I wonder where that came from except Satan says I got another one but Job didn't um and please do not take, what I'm going to say is, um, I'm Joe, but I've, um, I've been through some tough things over the years. Um, I, I somewhat jokingly but seriously say, um, God has had numerous occasions to take my life and he hasn't, so he still has a purpose for me, but um, a motorcycle accident, Uh, when I was 22 and when I was 21, they thought I had Hodgkin's disease. Um, uh, um, Now I can't think of all the things. I've had 31 surgeries. Cancer twice, heart attack, bypass, quadruple, um, broken legs again, and so on. Yeah. And uh, my point is, um, when do we give up? Or do we give up? I can't give up. And I'll tell you why, and I think it's the same reason, at least it encourages me, for, it didn't start with me, is what I'm trying to say. It comes from Job. Is that Job knew God. That's why he didn't give up. I think the reason we give up because we don't know God. And my hope and prayer is as we go through tomorrow looking at the, um, the armor, um, it will help you understand God in ways that we didn't understand before. Because we, we need to fight the battles and, and we can't give up on God. Where else can we go? Where else is there to go? I remember um, in 19, um, 60, or Yeah, my dad passed away from prostate cancer And um, it wasn't a total surprise because we knew he was dying. But uh, a few months later, I went to Arizona to where he lived and my mom uh, to get a bunch of my dad's stuff. I I love woodworking, so I rented a U-Haul trailer and brought a bunch of his stuff back to Michigan. And as I was driving back, it it just hit me, the loss of my dad. Um, And I, I, I can remember traveling across... Pulling out of Albuquerque, and you go up the mountains there, and then onto the plateau till you hit uh, Texas. It's probably two, three-hour drive. Uh, just balling, balling. Just Lord, why, why would you take Dad? Yeah, he, he was a missionary. He helped people. He was he was a great guy. Why don't you take some bum that isn't mountain to anything? You know. And I'm just angry at God for taking them. And then I thought to myself, what if this isn't even true? What if this religion stuff and believing in God, how do I even know he's in heaven? And I remember just being angry and like, maybe none of this is worth it. Um, about three hours down the road, I started thinking differently again, but I, I, what made me change my thinking literally was, but what other choices do I have? I don't know any other choices except that somehow God is enough in all the pain. He has to be. And I think that's where Job was. And the last one I want to refer to here is Jesus. Um, When Jesus was being tempted, um, how did Jesus respond? He responded by, saying, let me just uh, read that last paragraph here, but Jesus didn't challenge the truth of the statement because the devil really did have authority over the world. Instead, Jesus quoted Deut- Deuteronomy 6.13 in response saying, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Three times Jesus does that. Responds with scripture. Here's, here's a simple question. You know where you're vulnerable in being tempted by satan do you know one scripture to back up fight satan with on that now i'm not being arrogant in saying this but i'm willing to bet most of you don't tell me what your 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 biggest struggle is and give me one verse to fight it now i'm not saying that put you down I had to think about it, and I had to get seriously. And I've been picking. We're going to talk about verses at the last session on Sunday, which God has really convicted me about that I'm going to share with you. But I would say I don't. I know a bunch of verses, but I don't know how to strategically use them. Other than that, I can pull them out and use them and such, uh, especially when I'm counseling. But what about when I'm struggling right here with me? And my hope is is that we can come up with a way to use scripture to deal with what we need to, because Jesus found it helpful. Why can't we? So, having said that, last main points here. We are under attack. There's no question about it. Um, And there's, I think, a couple things, or a few things we need to know. One is that uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that uh, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then, if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be with their action, what their actions deserve. In other words, they got it coming. But meanwhile, they're deceiving us. It, what, it, I, I didn't look the passage up and I meant to, but there's a verse, maybe somebody knows it, where it says, uh, that in the end days they'll say what's right is wrong what's wrong is right and we see that happening in our society right now people are saying stupid things that we would have never said that was wrong or right before and now it's, it's politically incorrect or correct to say certain things and it's like where did all this new twisting of morals start from and it's Satan um, and, and I, I, I just want to say we, we don't know that he's masquerading unless we know what the truth is. Did you know that um, the, I heard this story and I'm assuming it's true. I've never met anybody who tests money to see if it's real or not, counterfeit or not. Okay? I know different ones who work in banks and I, but here's what I've been told. That the way that they learn to detect fake money, counterfeit money, is not by examining all the fake money. The way they do it is learn what the real thing is. And if they see anything different than that, they know it's not real. I think the same thing is true, is it's not, the, the game isn't taken and trying to figure out all the uh, ways Satan works. I, I, we need to be aware of it. But I think the more we're aware of God and his truth, we can know what isn't, doesn't fit that, and that, that's what we not, shouldn't be involved in. And so um, we need to be careful how things get twisted so easily. Second is Jesus prayed for the believers. And, and let me read the verse because I, I think it's important. It says Jesus prayed, before, uh, Jesus prayed before he died, asking God to use us here in the world. Jesus said that he was going out, uh, going, but wanted the believers to continue his mission, that we uh, would be involved in the battle. Uh, and he prayed to the Father, I, uh, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Uh, do, do, you, do you catch that? He doesn't take us out of this place where Satan has dominion, authority over it, but rather he asks that. We would be kept from the evil one in the sense that we do have protection, we do have resources, but he's left us here to fight the battle. And so Jesus says, "I don't leave you here alone, but I pray for you." And so he's he's praying for us. We're not here on our own, just struggling. But do we really understand? We'll look at a verse I think tomorrow about how God prayed or how Jesus prayed uh, for Peter, but. Um, on page, uh, page seven, is uh, we finish up here, we display the glory of God in our marriages. Our marriages are to bring glory to God. And how do we know that? I think there's a, a key word that's used in Genesis about um, the word one flesh. Uh, the word one flesh has a, is a Hebrew word that's in your notes there, Bazaar. I I suppose it's pronounced, B-A-S-A-R. And that word literally means to publish, to preach, or physically bring a message to others. In other words, our one flesh is to publicize, to promote the oneness of God. It's to send a message. And if our marriages are to send a message... And I, I believe Satan wants with all his might for our marriages not to send that message about who God is. I'll tell you this much. If I was not a Christian, but I was a counselor, and I saw the Christians that come in for counseling for their marriage, and I wasn't a Christian, I would not want to become a Christian. I enjoy counseling non-Christians more than I do Christians and I'll tell you why and that doesn't mean I'm saying anything bad about any of you but I'm just simply saying Christians are arrogant I know it all I know that already Don or I've tried that or this or that someone asked me uh, a while back Don uh, from when you started the ministry 38 years ago and now is you notice much of a difference I had to think about it but yeah I do uh, people are more complacent. When you would point things out, when I'd point things out to people in counseling before, they would stop and think about it. Now, no big deal. So, you know, there, there's no conviction there. It just, it's it's kind of complacent. And, and what I enjoy about Christian or non-Christians is when you speak to them, there, there's a sense of curiosity. I'd love to use marriage counseling as ways to, to kind of get non-Christian to wake up and and kind of think about their spiritual life and such. And why is it as Christians we're just kind of complacent and humdrum and I'm tired of this and I don't know how much I'm going to put up with this. and um, We're not given glory to God. I think we're given a really poor message about who God is by the way we relate, which should motivate us to take and work harder at our marriage. I want to be more careful about how I treat Becky. I want to be more careful about what, and I don't mean on the facade, but I mean genuinely from my heart to build her up as Ephesians 4.26, do not let any wholesome word come out of your mouth, but only that which is for the purpose of building Becky up according to her need. That's what I want to do. She's She's a daughter of... Uh, of Christ, and I, I want to take and make her a beautiful person. I want to take good care of her, and I got to keep that picture in my mind. And, and so, um, what example am I giving of the glory of God as we relate? Next point D. Ephesians six tells us how to fight. Um, says here, put on, and we're going to go over this tomorrow, of course, but put on the uh, whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Um, in other words, there is a way to withstand the devil. And he says, I'm going to give it to you. I said this earlier, but let me say it again. The armor is a way to apply the gospel to our lives in a very practical way. In other words, the armor is, is, is a way to know how. Because I think one of the things is uh, people will say, well, I, I don't know how to understand the Bible and I don't understand, um, you know, some of these things. I think what Paul is saying, let me give you some ways that you can practically, through using the armor, know how to apply the truth to your life and to your marriage. I'm going to share one more here that's not in your notes but it's this I find it interesting that the spiritual warfare the armor of God in chapter 6 comes right after Ephesians chapter 5 talking about husband and wives I didn't make that connection until I was reading through the passage and it's like boy um, God, or Paul must have known we needed some armor if we're going to be dealing with our marriage relationships and, uh, and so we've got to take it practically and say. And that's why I, I think we, it's practical to apply these to our marriage. And I want to end with um, this last story. And I, I want to um, reference uh, some verses here in doing it. There, there's a story in the Bible that I f- um, found very, very, very curious It's about Elisha and King Aram. Um, So here's kind of the story. And um, I'll explain it to you, and then I'll read the verses that I think are powerful. I can read better without my glasses. But um, King Aram was looking for a way to attack the children of Israel. And so he was cleverly devising a way And what he would do is he would sneak over here and set up camp close to the Israeli uh, line or wherever the children of Israel were with the hopes that he would then sneak up and attack them. But every time that happened, uh, the children of Israel would figure it out and go and put up their guard. And so King Aram would change his strategy. And this happened numerous times. And what's interesting is King Aram said, how do they always know what our tactics are. In fact, it says there, he says, um, where does it say? Um, Well, the the verse says this, Uh, I'm looking. It it says, King Aram says, it's like they even know what's, somehow it's like they're in my bedroom. The word word bedroom is there. It's like somehow, It's like someone's in my bedroom to know the strategic ways we're trying to attack. And what it was is God was telling Elisha what what they were going to do. Elisha would uh, uh, share it with the king of Israel. And they would set up the thing. And so finally King Aram figures out that it's Elisha that's doing all this stuff. So they go out and their goal is to capture Elisha so he can't foil their plans anymore so that's the story King Aram and his army comes after Elisha and they figure out where he's at and they're surrounding him Elisha's servant is there and Elisha's servant gets scared like we're going to get caught or killed here Elisha we're in trouble now listen Elisha says this. Let me back up one verse. When the servant of the man of God, which is Elisha's servant, got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots were surrounding the city. That's where Elisha was. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. But I see all these horses and chariots and everything here. So listen. And Elisha prayed, Lord, open the eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of of fire all around Elisha. Did you catch that? What, what happened was there was a spiritual army there. And, and all Elisha's servant could see is the enemy. And evidently Elisha could see it. But he said, God, open up my servant's eyes so he can see we're not alone. That there is an army around us protecting us. And um, and, and, and so what happens, I'll, I'll just tell you how the story ends, is... Uh, uh, the servant is thrilled about this, and then uh, Elisha prays, uh, or, or God blinds the the army, and Elisha and cement lead the army and say, "You're in the wrong place." Now, how they got confused, I don't know. But here's what it says: that they said, "You're in the wrong place to get Elisha, and, and follow us. We'll take you to where he is." And they go to another city. I forget the name of the city. Samaria. Yes. Thank you. And, and, they say, and then their eyes are open. And they're, how did we get here? My point simply is this in sharing the story. What if God could open our eyes to see the forces of God at work around us? We only see Satan and his dirty work. But I believe that As it said here, those who are with us are more than those who are um, against us. And, um, and, and there's an army out there. And my prayer is this, that God would open our eyes to begin to see the resources and the power and what God is for us to fight the battle. I'm going to say this. I think I've been blind to see that. I haven't really looked for God's resources, God's army. If anything, I felt like I probably am in the battle alone so often, probably like Elisha's servant has felt. And what my prayer has been the last couple of weeks since I ran across this passage is, Lord, help me open up my eyes to what you're doing and what you have. There's a verse that goes with it. If you want to write this verse down, it's not in your notes, but it's Ephesians chapter one. Um, And um, it, it says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious uh, inheritance in, uh, in the saints, and his incredible great power for us who believe. Now, here, here's what uh, I think is helpful. Is Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I'm sorry. So what he's saying here is, is, I pray that your eyes, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's what we need. Lord, I have poor eyesight. I need glasses, or maybe we're blind. But um, even Paul says um, our eyes need to be enlightened. And what, he, and what I got out of this, what do we need to see? He says the, glorious, uh, the, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the incomparable great power of God. We need to see those, just like Elisha's servant needed to and so as we uh, close tonight, I, I would just simply say, tonight, would you just pray? God, open my eyes. Are they blind? Am, am I have selective seeing? Help me see myself. Help me see my marriage the way you see it. But also help me see what you have available, what you can do, the army that's fighting for me and fighting for my marriage. I believe God is fighting for our marriages. And um, we're not in this alone. And so on the last uh, page, page eight, there's an exercise here i suggest you do this evening or the first thing in the morning. And it's a list of ways that perhaps Satan might be attacking our marriage. You individually or your marriage. There's subtle ways Satan may attack your marriage. Maybe there's overt ways that he does that. And this is just a few things. I'm sure many things more could be written. Or is there possibly some strongholds in your personal life or marriage where there's just bondage and they need to be exposed in the sense of called what they are and, uh, areas that I need to seek help, freedom, uh, to break the bondage there. So I, I'm just, um, giving this to you to take and allow the Holy Spirit to use it to, uh, start your thinking here as to, um, what do I need to really begin to focus on? So, um, I'm going to pray, Um, and right after this, uh, you can go over to where we had supper, and there's banana splits, and uh, we look forward to seeing you over there. So that's part of your stay in here. By the way, uh, Marv probably will be serving tonight, uh, the fellow who probably checked you in. He might not. Oh, maybe the girls? Okay. So, um, but anyhow, uh, Marv is the owner of the shack here. Uh, He checked him most in. But uh, dear godly man, and we have much appreciated his encouragement uh, for us being here. So let me pray. Lord, we do want to see your power. We want to see your resources. And uh, we don't want to be in bondage. And so I pray for each person. I know some probably don't want to be here. Um, Some just... uh, It's just uh, like more pressure. But I pray you understand all the hesitancies and our heart's desires. And I just pray that you will reward us uh, in the way that will guide us toward closer walk with you. So uh, be with us as we go through this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to the 2021 Couples Getaway with the theme this year, Putting on the Armor of God in Your Marriage. If you'd like more information, you can go to the website of Bridge to Life. It is www.bridgetolife.org. Or you can call them at 616-846-1051. I'm Mark Moore for Bridge to Life.